while your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 so you can join me this evening. We've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot that happened last night that we were covering here on South Coast Tonight. We had Adam Bass reporting live, um, giving us live updates of what was going on in the council chambers. He was there. Um, so with all of the the protests and the and the tensions in the, in the chambers and the things that were said on the record, um, I want to invite Adam back. Uh, to to talk about it because they you know they ran out of time, uh, we ran out of time on the air here before he could come on. So Adam's going to be joining us at eight. Looking forward to that. But first, we're joined by state rep from New Bedford, Chris Hendricks, who's been a lot doing a lot of work um, on the budget up at Beacon Hill. Hey, Chris, how are you? Marcus, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, so you. For the last few weeks have been up at the state house. It is <clears throat> the time where, you know, you guys are hammering out um hammering out the budget. Uh what's that process like? So uh the budget is a, a very involved process, as you know. Um we just finished up on Monday. I mean, excuse me, we started on Monday and we finished this past uh Wednesday. Um and basically what it is, it's you know, each legislator has to file um, you know, a handful you typically, on average, a handful of amendments for local earmarks to get mm-hmm. local monies. And then essentially the process, the debate process, just involves you trying to get that money and uh, making your case to uh, ways and means and trying to bring that money home. So you represent New Bedford now. It's a new district. It's the um, New Bedford now has two uh, state reps, you and Mr. Tony Cabral. Uh, Tony Cabral's always been an all-New Bedford, but you, you are now representing all, um, uh, an all-New Bedford district. What are some of the budget priorities that you had going into this uh, session? Well, uh, the top budget priority that I put through, and I put through every year since every budget that I've been the state rep, I, I've made this my top priority. And that's with the Greater New Bedford Opioid Task Force. Okay. Um, I was able to secure $75,000 for that program. Um, as you know, that's, you know, substance abuse, opioid addiction is a, is a top priority, legislative priority of mine. Um, and I was very, very happy to, to get that but that money. Typically, I've only gotten 50 in the past, so this is an increase in that earmark. That's great. Um, it's, it's a program that's run through the New Bedford Police. It's a program that I'm actively involved in on an advocacy level. I'm part of the recovery subcommittee, as you may know. Yes. Um, so I was really happy that we were able to get that increased. Um, we also had uh, two other, I was able to get two other local earmarks, one of which was $50,000 for the Girls Design Academy up in the North End. And what that does, that's a, that's an earmark that my, actually my predecessor, uh, Bob Cazera and his aide, Kate, were able to work on prior to me getting there that I, um, you know, I've made a priority to keep going. And the Girls Design Academy is an after-school program that services three to 
third grade to fifth grade um, uh, school children, uh, all all girls uh, in the city of New Bedford, um, with a focus on STEAM education, which is science, technology, engineering, arts. Usually, you have STEM. Yes. This includes arts as well in mathematics, and that's you know that's that's an area that's underserved in that population um, typically. So I'm really proud to get that. Um, funded for, with 50000 And I got another $80,000 for the America Reads program, which I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was uh, a federal program started by Bill Clinton in the 90s to improve uh, childhood literacy. And okay. what that money is going to be used for is for transportation for UMass students to go and tutor New Bedford children um, in other areas as well, but mostly New Bedford kids, public school kids. Um, on reading and to build up literacy rates um, for our schools. Yeah, because there's certainly a gap uh, in New Bedford schools and probably other school districts in the South Coast with respect to, um, you know, reading level. Yeah, I mean, all, all the help we can get in that department, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, we made some investments, some big investments over the years with the Student Opportunity Act. But, yeah. Um, this kind of hands-on approach, um, you know, with uh, the student-to-student type interaction, I think, is going to serve the, the New Bedford students well. So, Chris, um, the opioid task force, you, you secured $75,000, which you said is an increase from what you normally secure. Um, just a little bit more about the work the opioid task force does and your involvement with it. Well, what they do is they, they essentially provide resources to folks who direct resources to folks who either um, suffered a, a non-fatal overdose or to folks families who in, to our, who are essentially struggling with opioid addiction, mostly yeah. heroin addiction. Um, they have pop-up events. They have, um, you know, avenues to, to, to get people into treatment. And, and essentially it's a program that, you know, that allows the New Bedford police to treat this as a public health crisis okay. as opposed to jailing our way through it. Right. Um, so it, it's basically a resource community-based um uh, program that that pulls resources from all over, and it's and it's a greater New Bedford, so it includes a cushioning, it includes behavior, includes uh, folks from from Dartmouth. So it's a good collaborative effort that kind of just pulls um, our our community's resources to get people the help they need, especially when they have um, already have had um, a non fatal overdose. Narcan training, uh, public education, uh, things like that. And uh, with the with the increased um, funding uh, in that area, what, what um, are there any additional things you're looking to do for it, or just have uh, bigger impacts with the things that you you currently are doing? With well, it? I know in the past they've used that for increased data collection. If you recall, uh, when I first started getting this year, Mark, they used it for um, wastewater um, data, so to, yeah. to figure out what areas need the resources more to combat opioid addiction sure. based on the levels of opioids in the wastewater. Okay. So that's kind of an innovative thing that kind of sparked my interest in, in getting an earmark in the first place. So I would imagine any increase, it, one of the, the, the good things about this program is that it, it is the data collection. Yeah. Because it was Chief, Chief um, Cadero who once said, you know, data tells a story. So the more data we have about an issue, whether it be opioids, education, or anything, um, the better we we will be able to handle um, a solution for uh, you know for that for that issue. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Uh, the the wastewater because they they use that to te- test uh, COVID as well, COVID levels. Yeah, uh, yep. I was just going to mention that. And the woman who was um, part of that technology 
Um, I've seen, you know, she came into New Bedford. Uh, I think it's a, it's a husband and wife pair duo that own that, that, the, that company that does that. And they came into New Bedford. They, we had multiple discussions on it. Now you see them all over. When COVID hit, you see them all over the news, yeah. uh, on international news. And, and, the, and uh, so it's kind of interesting that we were able to get that, you know, type of technology here first. Uh, we're speaking with uh, with Chris Hendricks, state rep from New Bedford. He had secured um, some uh, big earmarks uh, for greater, uh, the greater New Bedford area. Um, so uh, in in um, so in uh, combating the opioid crisis and uh, some major uh, educational um, earmarks as well. So, Chris, um, what's also in front of the uh, you know, it's a, it's a very big budget, um, but what's also in front of the uh, of the state house is the tax relief uh, plan. I know there were some plans for tax relief um, last time, uh, last session. Uh, some of it got passed in the later sessions, but you know, the sixty two F law kind of threw a wrench in the works. Um, what's um, in the? Uh, what are you looking at, particularly in this tax relief bill so, that you think is so going to be independent important? Independent from the budget, what we did about three weeks ago now is that the House passed a very comprehensive uh, tax relief bill um, in the House. Yeah. And we targeted, you know, it's, it's to improve the state's competitiveness, affordability, equity. By doing that, you know, how we achieve that is providing rent tax relief to renters, seniors, low-income folks, and moderate-income uh, residents. But at the same time, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's in very much a compromised bill the fact that we provide tax relief as well to the business community and high income earners because one of the main um you know uh, criticisms of the fair share amendment is that it's going to drive high earners in the business community out of the state which a lot of it was exaggerated but at the same time a lot of it was was real and so as you saw in the governor's budget she provided tax relief by way of um, the short-term capital gains in the estate tax. We did that a little differently, but in the same vein. Um, and so, so what we did um, in that regard is that right now, short-term capital gains, which are, you know, which are short-term investments that yield you know, profits, are taxed right now at 12%. So what the governor did is she, she bumped that down to 5%. We did the same thing, but we did that over two years. Okay. So next year it's going to be this year it's going to be eight percent. Next year it's going to be five percent, as opposed to right going right um, down to five. So we ease into it a little uh, more than the governor's budget. And as far as the estate tax, what we did is we raised the, we raised that from one million to two million. We took away the cliff effect. So well, right now, if you make more than a million, um, if you have more than a million in your estate when you pass away, you pay you know a tax on all that first million. Right yeah. now, in what this budget, what this bill did is we increased that to two million, and then we only tax what's above two million, not the whole estate. Right, and that that um that that tax can get fairly high. My understanding uh, of it, just from when I was doing some estates, I think it can get as high as ten, maybe fifteen percent, something like that. Yeah, so- and so you know, in the idea that you know this is going to eat into the money that we're going to bring into the fair share. Um, we've estimated that we're going to br- probably bring in around $1 billion in the first year through the fair share amendment. Okay? okay. So what that means is, you know, this money, this tax break, the tax break that we put in for the high income earners, it's going to cost the state money. So that's estimated. It's probably going to be around 250 to 350 million. Um, so, so we're certainly still in the green, 
as far as bringing in, um, you know, money from higher income earners relative to the fair share amendment. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we still have to, you know, make Massachusetts a place where people want to invest, people want to come um, and build industry. Um, we don't want it to be, um, you know, a place where people are leaving in droves. Um, so I think this was a good compromise all around. And again, we, 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 what I'm really proud of in this bill is what we did for renters and seniors and low-income folks. Yeah. So, um, and just for people, just a refresher on the fair share amendment, uh, that is a 4% tax on a yearly income over a million dollars, right? Correct. So we're speaking with state rep Chris Hendricks. Uh, he is a state rep from New Bedford. Uh, we're talking about um, the uh, the the budget. So in in the uh, tax relief bill that was proposed by uh, Governor Moore Healy, you you guys have your own uh, versions of that that you're you're passing that that is um, you're passing through. Uh, so in terms of process, um, has the tax relief bill has that passed the House already? It has passed the House. Okay. It goes to the Senate. I, I don't really know. I haven't really got any indication what what the Senate feels about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I would imagine you know what we have is is, is hopefully is what it's going to look like um, in the end. And obviously the governor looks like you know it's not too far off from what the governor proposed in her budget. So um, so we're we're anticipating that it shouldn't look too much different than what it is now. Just um, in- if I can just talk about what we do to renters, sure. So the, the, the rental deduction right now is capped at 3000 per year. We've increased that to $4,000. Um, in addition to, to the, you know, the, the tax breaks for, for renters, um, and, and if that's, by the way, that's going to affect about 880,000 people, okay, and mostly low-income folks. It's only going to cost about $40 million. Um, so, so I'm really proud that we were able to get that in there, especially with what's going on with the rent debate and how prices are going to start going through the roof here, and especially in the New Bedford. But in the budget this past week, we also um, codified and made permanent protections for renters with um, relative to those who are in um, the court process, in the eviction process. So with the pandemic era um, protections we put in place, that if, if someone's in court and being evicted for non-payment of rent, we have to make sure that they fill out and, and apply for emergency assistance before a judgment can be put in place. Right. So what we did, so I think that's a huge thing because it, what it does is it requires the landlords to participate. Because a lot of those applications, a lot of those programs will require the landlord to be involved in helping, um, you know, the tenant get though that emergency funds, those emergency funds. So this codifies that and makes permanent um, that they have to, you know, uh, get those applications in, and if you know, if if the the only reason is non-payment of rent, if it's for other reasons, then this doesn't, um, you know, doesn't doesn't play uh, a role. But uh, but I think this, you know, given the fact, you know, especially I just you know with the the non-binding um, ballot question that didn't go through, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm I'm glad we were get you know we're starting to get protections put in place already. Um, we we put 180 million in for the RAF program, another 173 in for the Massachusetts Rental Voucher Program. Um, so certainly this this budget that we put in this past week um, takes into account that we're really uh, in for the long haul when it comes to uh, you know rental issues and housing stuff. 
you know, I normally wouldn't ask you to weigh in on municipal issues, but this is something that would go before the state house if it were to pass uh, in New Bedford, um, a rent con- uh, rent control or rent stabilization uh, ordinance. Um, I know that you've talked about it before. Um, uh, it didn't pass the city. It didn't pass the city council chambers. Mayor Mitchell's veto was uh, successfully sustained, and that was more of a temperature check for the uh, for the the, the the voters to see whether or not they would support it. What's your thoughts on it? It failing, and do you think rent stabilization or any type of type of rent restriction uh, would be uh, sound ho- housing policy for New Bedford? Well, I've always been of the opinion that it's a debate worth having, um, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, you know, as for the process that the city council chose to do with with get voting to put that on the ballot originally, you know, I, I, I'd rather not speak to that. But, sure. but I will say that having that debate has certainly been out in the forefront, and I think that that goal to achieve a robust public discourse about it um, was achieved. I think you know, Councilor Burgo certainly deserves a lot of credit there for Thank that. You. Um, but anything as far as putting something in place would have to be, I think, talked about a little more on, on the market, uh, you know, how would it, it would affect the market, how would it, it would affect landlord um, in, in, in them, you know, raising rents. And, and, and obviously the percentage would be the, the debated point, you know, 5%, 10%, 12%. Um, I would, if, if anything were to be put in place, eventually it would have to be a lot, probably a lot higher than 5%. Um, but, but certainly I think having that debate um, was a fruitful thing. You know, it's, it, it's going to be a, a topic that's only going to get um, more attention as the MBTA comes down here. So I think getting on the forefront and getting that those topics discussed was certainly uh, well intended and well achieved. You sit on the um, housing committee in the uh, in the state house, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what a you know you talked about some of the um, some of the, the the achievements that you're that you guys are securing for uh, some of the relief that you guys are securing for renters for people in uh, low that are lower income obviously makes up a big chunk uh, of a population in your district in the city of New Bedford. What is some of the other work that the um, that the the housing committee does um, that you're involved in? Well, it, well, as you know, it's a legislative committee, so so we don't. So as far as doing something tangible uh, on the on an immediate basis, it's not really what the, that committee does. It's what we typically just review legislative bills that come through that have to do with housing, whether it be rent control, rent stabilization, tenant protections. I've talked, you know, up and down the wall about tenant protections and how um, those things, um, like like notice and, and being able to spread out upfront costs. Things like that. So those types of bills is what we review and essentially hear debate on. Yeah. And then we we our tangible um, power is what we vote up or down those bills after we hear the testimony. So uh, we have not heard any of those bills yet. Uh, we've had one hearing so far um, where we heard it was just one bill that was a, a special file um, by request. So it was kind of an outlier. Um, but certainly coming uh, into the spring and the summer, we'll be hearing more. Um, on the work that we're, you know, it's regards to the bills that we're reviewing. We're speaking with State Rep. Chris Hendricks of New Bedford. Um, so you talked about tenant protections. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that's an important conversation, uh, especially with the whole process of, uh, of evictions and notice and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I, 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 first of all, I, I want to make clear what we what we put in place and what you know what what is still in the in the bill process. So. The, the, the non-payment of rent, when someone's in court for non-payment of rent, they have to fill out 
an application for emergency rental assistance before um, being, you know, whether they're denied or, or approved, they have to fill out that application before a judgment is made. That is, is the law of the land. Well, that's what we pass in the House to eventually make the law of the state. Um, so that's something that we're actually doing. The tenant protections you're referring to are still, you know, bills in the state house that's been filed to, in order, you know, for us to hopefully and someday vote on, which we haven't yet. And that's spreading out the upfront costs. So one of the main barriers for low-income folks in the, when they're finding a new place is the upfront, co- upfront cost, first, last, and security <laughs> deposit, which can be into several thousand dollars. Right. Um, and so, so there's there's bills at the state house that would mandate that landlords allow a tenant to spread those upfront costs over the first six months of a tenancy in order to alleviate the pressure of the, you know, of, of being able to find a place, being able to afford, um, you know, the upfront cost to get in somewhere. And notice, um, if you're in uh, a multi-housing unit and the owner of that building is in discussions or negotiations to sell that building, um, they have to provide, even if it's just preliminary discussions they would have to at a certain point on a statutory basis give notice to all the tenants therein that they're even thinking about um selling the 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 property to another person in order to give them enough time to make arrangements enough time to decide whether or not they want to stay i think those are the stuff the 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 small things that we can do uh to combat the the housing crisis um you also have um legal counsel so in, in the in the criminal world, if you can't afford a lawyer, the state provides one for you. Yeah. So there's, there's a bill at the state house, which is one of the bills we will be reviewing, that would you know grant that same luxury to someone who's in being evicted. Um, that that's really know, important. That's really important, Chris. I mean, you're you know, we went to law school together, right? So you're a practicing attorney. I am too. And, you know, you have that Sixth Amendment right to counsel, but really the way it's been applied through Supreme Court jurisprudence and all that is really just for exclusively for crim, uh, criminal cases. But where you're, you know, the, the Gideon versus Wainwright. And I know there's been some talk at the federal level of expanding. You're dropping case law now, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Professor Rucco would be proud. So, um, so, uh, uh, but, but what you're saying is you're looking at an expansion of that to include um, housing matters. So if someone can't afford a housing attorney, there would essentially be like a CPCS, a public counsel service. Right. I mean, the, the argument is that something so critical and so vital as, you know, having a roof over your head um, would be, would, would warrant having that same, you know, yeah. right to counsel. Of course. As you would in a, in a criminal case. And I, you know, I, I, I could get along with that in theory. Um, you know, I, we do have something like that now called lawyer for a day. Yes. Where I think, you know, we have a lawyer in a courthouse um, and housing courts all across the Commonwealth. But those, you know, that's that's what it, exactly what it sounds like, a lawyer for a day. Um, yeah. And so that certainly is uh, one of those. It's, it, well, it's a volunteer. Mechanisms of the law that, that don't uh, get a, certainly enough attention and don't have the impact that we would like it to have. Yeah, that, that that's an, it's an important program. Um, that's a lawyer for lawyer of the day in, in housing court and in family and probate court is essentially a lawyer volunteering their time. Right. In, for a day uh, to advise people on stuff. But this would be a more you're you have a representative lawyer on the docket. Right. Right. And obviously that would cost money. You yeah. know, um, CPS, CPCS costs money. Yeah. And something like this would certainly cost, um, you know, but, but, you know, but, but if we can alleviate the, the, the pressures for tenants and, and hopefully, you know, we can also 
mitigate the amount of cases that go through the court process um, at the same time. So so I, I, I haven't even uh, be, begun to think about how much that would cost. And yeah. Certainly that's something we'll hear um, further on as the session goes on, but but certainly something we should think about. Yeah, I'm certainly interested in uh, in that in that conversation as well. So we're speaking with State Rep. Chris. Uh, we're speaking with State Rep. Chris Hendricks in New Bedford. Um, they just did the budget session this week, and he secured some earmarks uh, for the city of New Bedford. Um, so, so Chris, uh, we, we talked about the budget. We've talked about the uh, the the budget priorities that you had. Um, we talked well, about. Go ahead. So there's some substantive stuff in the budget that I'd like to, to like. Oh to yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So huge yeah. thing. So universal school meals, um, that's, that's, we passed that in the House. Um, that's something that the federal government was helping out uh, during the pandemic. That's something um, part of the large bucket with the fair share amendment. You have education and transportation. Uh, the education piece, the large, the, the, the majority chunk of that $500,000, I think it's like $180,000 we use for universal um, meals in schools. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, we talked about this before, you know, reducing the stigma, making sure kids have the attention, the focus they need to, uh, to learn. Yeah. If they're, if they're, if they go to school hungry, that's, you know, the, the, the whole education piece goes out the window. So I, that's something we're, we're really proud of. Um, the universal school meals. We also, um, made, uh, allowed online lottery tickets and games, uh, for the Commonwealth to compete with the sports betting. Um, that's a big change. Online um, lottery no tickets, so yes. so so people can go online. So if you, so if you're at so if I'm at Seven Eleven and someone the lottery is taking forever, um, that's going to be go <laughs> at some point you will. If the Senate goes along with this and yeah. and, and the, the the governor, which she has indicated she is for, then um, then yes, that that will that will be um, put in place if it gets through. Yeah, certainly a revenue driver um, for the uh, for the Commonwealth. So, right. uh, go ahead. And, and, and another big thing, Mark, is the no cost prison phone calls we put through. Um, Finally, if you recall, we put that through last year. Yeah. Um, through the House be, be, because of the the veto process and the um, a, a, a number of other things, the governor kind of uh, kind of nixed that whole thing, that whole effort. Yeah, so we we, we include all the jails, all the all the the state jails and the county um, jails as well, the, the state prisons and county jails. So, um, I think that's a really good way to uh, reduce recidivism, making sure these folks who leave prison have um, you know the, the relationships and, and resources they need to, to to succeed and not just get kicked out onto the street. So we're really proud of that that we were able to put that through. Yeah. So um, just for some background, just in case people might have forgot, uh, there's a lot going on in that sheriff's election last year. But one of the things that happened was there was basically a lawsuit that said the state law um, that basically said the state law says that the sheriff's offices can charge for phone calls. Um, they did charge for phone calls. And um, so then there was a, after that and, and uh, Bristol County Sheriff, former Sheriff Tom Hodgson. Uh, was the I think the named party in that lawsuit, and they you know they were, the sheriff's offices throughout the the Commonwealth were like, well, this is actually an important revenue driver for us. We need to 
you know, we need we need that to maintain, not only uh, maintain phone calls, uh, main, uh, have the budget for the phone calls, but also for other things. But what you guys are purporting to do, which wasn't able to get done last time, you said uh, Charlie Baker nixed it, was providing no-cost phone calls, which isn't actually a cost to the inmates, people got to remember. It's a cost to the people on the other side of the line. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it only makes sense. I mean, there are there's tangible ways that we can affect and make that uh, a, a reality. Yeah. Um, and, and if you recall, the governor tied it into the dangerousness bill. Oh, a yeah. A lot of right. legislative That's and right. procedural stuff that I won't get into. But, no. but it was uh, it was a big point of contention with him and the Judiciary Committee, which I sit on, uh, which is chaired by Mike Day. Uh-huh. And so that was uh, something that was really disappointing towards the end of the session last year. Yeah, I remember you uh, You joined us sometime around the end of the session to talk about the uh, the dangerousness bill and all of that. That's, that's like you said, that's another topic for uh, for another time. Um, is there anything else with respect to the budget or the tax relief bill that you wanted to make the audience aware of? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, the, the I talked about um, the renters and, and how we reduce taxes for renters, the senior circuit breaker. Um, we've the, the right now the, the that credit cannot exceed seven hundred fifty dollars. Right, we raised that to fifteen hundred, and we allowed for cola uh, to result, you know, which results in a tax break. Um, so, you know, the, the seniors, renters, low-income folks, the the earned income tax credit. Um, right now, mass those who qualify can only match up to thirty percent. We raised that to forty percent of the federal credit. Um, so, I think you know. There's going to be a lot of talk about the fair share amendment and how we kind of ate into those revenues. But at the same time, I mean, helping seniors, renters, and low-income folks is, is, you know, helping those folks is my top priority. So I was really proud that we were able to get that in um, in the budget this year. And hopefully that's going to have a huge difference. We're speaking with uh, State Rep. Uh, from New Bedford, Chris Hendricks. So, Chris, um, I did want to ask you about a bill that you came on to talk about last time and just, you know, sort of seeing where that's at. I know it's still fairly early in the session. You know, you guys got a two-year session here, but um, you had a bill uh, that was basically going to uh, expand care for um, victims of violent crime, right? Uh, some more yeah. preventative care, like basically, from my understanding. Well, explain uh, explain what the what the law purports to do, and then you know, just sort of tell us where where that's at. Well, the, the law would allow the state to bill Medicaid for violence prevention services. So when someone gets injured, typically, but we're talking about gun violence, they enter and they survive. They enter uh, the emergency room. The, the The hospital will be, or whatever medical provider will be able to bill Medicaid directly for violence prevention services in order to, to make sure that person is safe and doesn't, um, you know, go out and not only get injured, but also commit violence themselves um, in retaliation. So it's a big, robust, you know, violence prevention is a big, robust um, um, effort. Um, and uh, ROCA, which is um, an anti-violence, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Agency, but it's uh, yeah. Roca is uh, it, it's a it's a nonprofit that that aims to reduce gun violence in, in urban areas. Um, they're prevalent in Boston and Baltimore and in other big uh, urban urban centers, and so they've supported the bill. They've endorsed it, um, and basically, it's federal money that we're you know in in the Biden administration issued a directive saying that Medicaid is now um, 
going to be paying for these types of services, but we have to codify it first. Yeah. And this bill would a lot would essentially codify it and, and allow Massachusetts residents to receive that money through Medicaid. And make it the third state in the country to do so, right? Illinois, Connecticut, and then Massachusetts? Yeah, I think it's Illinois, Connecticut, and then maybe Maryland now. Okay. As there's, there has been no research yet. You know, they all did that um, within the last year or so. So we would be one of the first states to do it. Right now, that bill has been assigned to health care financing. Um, it has yet to be issued a hearing date. Um, but when it does, I'll certainly let you know. Appreciate it, Chris. Um, so we're speaking with uh, State Rep. Chris Hendricks. Uh, Chris, we, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon? No, that's pretty much it. I'm just I'm anxious to see how the uh, the Senate um, handles the, the the budget that we passed this week. Hopefully, all the good things that we just talked about remain, um, whether it be funding or substantive stuff. Because um, certainly, I know the a lot of the priorities that we um, a lot of the things we prioritized was prioritized by the governor. So I'm assuming once it clears, the Senate will be in good shape to get all these things through. Absolutely. Chris Hendricks, state rep from New Bedford. Uh, appreciate the work you're doing up there and um, look forward to you uh, joining us again to keep us updated on what's going on up at the state house. Of course. Thanks, Mark. That was state rep Chris Hendricks, uh, fellow UMass law grad. Um, he uh, is doing some good work there. Uh, you know, he secured some uh, major earmarks, right, for uh, opioid addiction, expanding uh, STEAM education, and um, and uh, helping, uh, you know, uh, helping UMass st- uh, students tutor uh, students in the greater New Bedford area um, to try to, you know, bring up the gap in, uh, in literacy. Uh, so that's really important stuff. A lot of important work going on up there. And we appreciate um, State Rep. Chris Hendricks uh, for uh, joining us and, and, and giving us an update on that. So um, 508-996-0500. That's how you can join us this evening. We're going to have Adam Bass, our reporter, Adam Bass, our City Hall our city hall guy. Uh, he's going to be joining us at 8 to give us an update of what's going on. What happened last night in the council chambers? He was there. You know, we were, we were able to bring you that information live uh, we were able to bring you that information live here because of the work that Adam Bass did. And so um, looking forward to talking with him at eight. Until then, uh, I'll take your calls and I'll take your app chat messages. 508-996-0500. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500. Happy Friday to everybody. Um, so we got Adam Bass of Mass. He's going to be joining us at uh, at 8 o'clock. He was in city council chambers. He'll be giving us live updates on that. That was state rep Chris Hendricks. A lot of good, good information um, in here. A lot of good... Uh, in, uh, a lot of good information uh, in that in, in that interview. Uh, the podcast will be up soon. Uh, if you missed any of it, um, it looks like they're doing a lot for residents in New Bedford uh, with respect to expanding the tax credit for uh, renters. Uh, a lot of good work for rent, uh, tenant protection, low income uh, people who are uh, you know in the lower income brackets. So. Um, that's again, that podcast will be up. So I think it'll be good. Um, a good, a good re-listen if you want to catch some of that, uh, want to catch that again. Cause I think there was a lot to unpack there. One of the things I actually wanted to point out, um, that, uh, I was particularly interested in is the jail calls, uh, amendment. So basically in just a little background, I know we sort of did gave you the cliff notes of it last year. There had been an ongoing law, uh, lawsuit with, uh, Securus, 
um, which is the uh, third-party program, the, the third-party vendor that uh, charges for phone calls for inmates. Now, what's important to remember is the inmates don't get charged. It's the people on the other side of the phone. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I'm... Like I like I said before, you guys know if you listen to the show, I'm a practicing attorney. I did def- uh, criminal defense uh, for uh, some years, and the you get charged every phone call, <laughs> and uh, the process is not only an incredible pain, um, but it can get pretty costly. And I mean, if you're an attorney, you just you get a budget for it. But if you're a usually if you're a family of somebody who's in the House of Correction, it might not be something within your affordability. Um, and, you know, that's not good for the people on the other side of the phone, right? It's also not good for the inmates because there's been study after study shown that having a consistent contact with the outside world does reduce your rate, uh, does reduce your likelihood of reoffending. That's been borne out in studies, you know, over over decades. So it is actually really important to reduce uh, recidivism, as Chris Hendricks said, a term that you've heard quite a bit throughout the Bristol County Sheriff's race. And even when we're talking to now uh, now Sheriff Paul Harrow, um, you know, we talked with former Sheriff Hodgson about it very extensively. Recidivism and trying to reduce it is um, a major part of of, I think, a successful corrections, uh, a sex, successful corrections endeavor. So um, that jail calls amendment is really important. Then that was proposed after the lawsuit because they basically said, you know, right now the state law says that the sheriff's offices, and this was, I think, when the sheriff's offices were were controlled by counties, but then they moved over to be controlled by the states in like 2009. State law said that sheriff's offices can charge for phone calls, and they do. And a lot of times I think it's a matter of they might have to. I I know... uh, I can't remember which other county sheriff's office, but I remember they talked about they talked to the sheriffs throughout the uh, Commonwealth about this. One, uh, one of them, I can't remember which one, had said I think it was out in Central or Western Mass, but had said that they used actually they used the um, the proceeds from the jail calls to fund some programming that they had, you know, like busing family members, uh, you know, family members from uh, certain areas to go so they can go visit the um, their. Uh, their loved ones uh, that might be in the house of correction. So um, this will, I think, be able to provide them with the resources they need to be able to provide those calls free of charge, which is not just good for the inmates. It's good for the people on the other side of the phone, the attorneys and the the families of the um, families of the individuals trying to, you know, call out. So, Good stuff there. A lot of good stuff in that interview. So 508-996-0500. That's how you can join us this evening. We'll also take your message. Message. Messages on the WBSM app chat. I'll tell you what. I got to take a break and we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. 1420 WBSM is now also on 99.5 FM. You've spent all day hearing about the news. Now's your chance to react to it. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Call Chris and Marcus now at 508-996-0500. Or send a text via app chat on the WBSM app. Now, back to South Coast Tonight. Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me. Happy Friday. Someone was asking what the, um, the, the, the tax deduction was on the, um, 
uh, for renters, it's uh, been increased to 4000 So that's good. Uh, that's based on the budget they pass. I don't, um, so that's based on the budget that they pass. So that's what they're, that's what they're looking to increase it to is $4,000. So 508-996-0500. That's how you can join me this evening. We'll also take your message on the WBSM app. If, actually, if you have the WBSM app or uh, you just like to go on WBSM.com, whichever works. I like the app personally. I think it's the easiest way to get everything that you need from WBSM in one, uh, you know, in, in, in one shot. You can listen to the broadcast. You can listen to South Coast tonight. You can get the uh, you can get the podcast. So uh, in, you know, some in a few minutes when when uh, when the hour ends, I can upload the podcast to state rep Chris Hendricks and it'll it'll appear on the um, on the WBSM app under podcasts. And um, you can go find our stories. And Tim Weisberg just had a story that came out uh, that's really important, um, you know, saying that, you know, the city of New Bedford, uh, Mayor Mitchell's office uh, uh, finalized a contract with the ASME union. So um, go check that out. That was a big discussion that was going on, uh, especially during when, you know, Linda Moore had to put forward those $50,000 pay raises uh, that were debated and then reduced in the city council. Some of the one of the concerns was how this was going to affect collective bargaining with the ASME union, the unionized employees um, in the uh, New Bedford City Department. So 508-996-0500. Good evening. Good evening, Marcus. How's it going? Uh, it's all right. Doing all right. Cool. You know, this whole thing with a rent stabilization, rent control, whatever, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, you know, the other thing is uh, Linda Morad uh, a couple of weeks ago was on with Tim, and she said your water and your sewer is going to be going up. That you can see double mm-hmm. on your on your payment. And uh, yeah, on one end she wants to control the rents. On the other end, she's going to wham it. She's going to sock it to you. With uh, high sewer and high water rates, well, you know the, what I'm saying. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, and I think the the, the that was due in part. Jack Splain explained that pretty well, right? It was due in part to uh, the council's in a, uh, failure, frankly, to um, or refusal uh, to pursue uh, grant funding to update the uh, the the sewer system. Yeah, you still have APA money, millions, yeah. tens of millions of APA, uh, which yeah. is uh, you know the federal, the state. And the county mm-hmm. that we have, uh, $2 million have been appropriated for rent assistance, mm-hmm. $6 million for the Zaitarian. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a woman called and talked to the mayor on Tim's show last Wednesday and asked, what's up with the roads? Why? Uh, what are you going to do about these roads that are crumbling? And he said, well, there's not much we can do. We're not getting as much state funding as we used to. Yeah. We only have $3 million in the road repair fund. Yeah, so yeah, I know a lot of that's uh, Chapter ninety funding. The the it's difficult because I was on the, you know, based on the amount of funding you get from the city and from the state, uh, you can only do a certain amount of roads per year. Like in Fairhaven, I, I I sat on the board of public works and we basically had to pick like five streets per year that we would that we would um that we would uh you know that we would, that we would pave right that the town would be able to pave. That was what, what was in the budget, so we picked five streets. It was usually based on you know, what the, what the highest priority was and you just do them, you know, five at a time or a few at a time until you're able to get all those streets. Done. I don't know how many in New Bedford they can do per year, but well, they're, they're New very Bedford, limited. Well, in New Bedford, all they're doing is there's still a lot of potholes. They, uh, mm. uh, they, I mean, they cover the potholes in some of the streets and they're filling in the cracks. Yeah. But I mean, you just, uh, you just spend $8 million between rent assistance and uh, $6 million 
between the two million and the six million, eight million dollars, and then you're scrounging for money for road repair. Just to me, it makes no sense uh, whatsoever. You know, you know, in Cambridge, uh, I don't know if I told you, but Cambridge, the city of Cambridge, receives the most, uh, the most uh, state uh, local aid from the state, state local aid, than any other city in the Commonwealth. And and there, if you own a, you own your home. Uh, and you live and you reside in that same home, you get a tax break. So why can't we have it here in the city of New Bedford to get more homeowners uh, rather than you have these big uh, real estate firms come in and gobble up You, you uh, get a tax a break for what? It's get a tax break. If you, if you live and own a tenement home, you get a tax break in, up in Cambridge. Hi. Hi. Yeah, plus they get a lot of money from the state. Why is it New Bedford? We're always scrounging for money, always trying to find money uh, here and there. And then in, uh, in Cambridge is getting all the money. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Cambridge also has a Cambridge also has a, a much um, broader tax base than New Bedford does, right? Than most cities and towns do in the Commonwealth. Well, yeah. that's why Liz Warren lives there. She has <laughs> tax breaks. No, well, she's got a house in Cambridge. She does have a house in Cambridge. Yeah, that's where she lives. Yeah, she does. Yeah. yeah. So uh, more, are, more Healy. Oh, more Healy lives in Cambridge too. Maura Healy lives in Cambridge, too? Yeah, she moved huh. recently. Oh, she moved. Where did she live before? She lived in Boston before, but she moved in, to Cambridge. In, uh, in, in Boston proper? Yeah, Boston proper. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, but that's the thing. How much? Do you know how much money we have uh, in upper money from the Fed and the state and the county? I, I just, need a breakdown on that. Yeah, we had 65 million New Bedford has, and then the, the, the county commissioners got some, too. But, hey, listen, I'm up against this break. All I, right, I gotta it was go. good talking to you, Marcus. Have a good night. You as well. Welcome back. Just closing out the 7 o'clock hour. We're going to have Adam Bass joining us in the 8.05 hour right after the news.